And Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Virtual House Church. This is the last week in the book of Genesis. Um, I was hoping to have Jim Staley join us for this broadcast. Uh, I talked to him a couple days ago. He was really going to try to be here today, but he cannot. Uh, He had a conflict, some other things going on. Uh, But he said if everything goes well, we should have him uh, with us next week. And so, since, uh, as I've pointed out before, we are a week behind here at the... Actually, a week ahead, I mean. We're a week ahead here at the Virtual House Church in terms of Torah portions. So, next week, for most people in the world who are doing Torah portions, next week is the last week of Genesis. So, uh, it, I think it'll work out. So, uh, you guys keep that in prayer. Uh, I would really look forward to that. Uh, I had a good talk with Jim and sort of his own experience, sort of a Joseph experience, if you will, with going to prison and all the things that were involved with that. So um, he said he is now ready to share his experiences. He has no problem with that. So I think that'll be a good thing to hear from him uh, regarding some of his experiences that he went through there and the miracles that were involved in getting him released and also talking about the uh, teaching identity crisis, which so many of us were blessed with and had a tremendous impact on all of our lives, certainly in my life, uh, but I know as, as uh, on many others as well. So uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully that will happen next week. Keep that in your prayers. If you're new here to the Virtual House Church, you can go to virtualhousechurch.com is our primary website. Built this website uh, about uh, several years ago, about 2012, 2013, I believe it was, when I built this website. Um, it is going through an overhaul. We're in the process of updating everything. So all the way down to week 12 has been updated. So any of the links that you click on up to week 12 will take you to the new website. So if you click on, for instance, who we are, it takes us to the new website here. just talks about the Sheila and I. The VHC store, Virtual House Church store, has some resources here for you to check out. Calendars, you can view PDFs, uh, order if you live in the United States, click on domestic. If you live outside, you could click on international to get a printed copy. Uh, that's the calendar put together by Kevin and Amanda Roberts. This calendar right here put together by Juan Carlos here. You can do the same. Click on that, view the, view the PDF and or download it. If you'd like to get the workbooks, you can click on those and uh, that'll take you to Amazon where you can probably get them quicker through Amazon um, and you get them less expensive through us. Save some money if you get all five of them together. You can click on that. And uh, if you have ordered, all the orders that have come in have gone out, so uh, be patient. Of course, with this pagan holiday season, the, the post office is slow getting stuff out, but it is in the mail, so uh, be patient on that. If you'd like to get the workbooks right away, you could click on the, this right here, get the PDF versions of them, where you can print them off and make copies for your home fellowship or small group or what have you. The Ephraim Awakening DVD ROM contains all the resources you see there on that. So that's all available in our store. Statement of Faith, just what it sounds like, what we believe here at the Virtual House Church. Coming Out of Babylon is a very comprehensive web page, really made for new people. If this is new to you, this is the page you want to spend a significant amount of time on. Lots of resources here. And uh, right at the top here, you see the Jim Staley Teaching Identity Crisis. And a complementary teaching to that is the Lost Sheep Teaching by 119 Ministries. Lots of stuff for you to check out here. And, of course, the Ephraim Awakening is is my version of those same teachings, the uh, Lost Sheep by 119 and Identity Crisis, sort of my take on it. Uh, So just a ton of videos here to help you understand what we're doing here. 
at the Virtual House Church. So if you're looking for fellowship, you can click on this page right here. This is the Torah Fellowship 119 Ministries uh, plug-in. It takes a few seconds to load, but as you see here, there's all kinds of little blue tags that show up all over the place. So you can just zoom in anywhere. Let's go right here and click on this one. Lena, you can click on her information and email her right there. So looking to meet people to study the Bible. So if you happen to live in her area right there in uh, Columbia, it looks like, uh, that's how you do it. Also, um, uh, somebody I saw a post in the um, uh, Virtual House Church Facebook group, somebody was saying, you know, I'm single, I'm looking for people who believe sort of the same way I do, you know, is there anything out there for, for singles? And so uh, on the Virtual House Church Discord server, uh, I just created a new channel called Torah Singles right there. So you can click on that and, uh, you know, maybe maybe find somebody there. Uh, in fact, let me go ahead and post an invite for everybody in the YouTube chat for you. If you're new and you want to join, that link is only good for 24 hours. So as of 2.10 p.m. Central Standard Time today, it will be good until 2.10 p.m. Central Standard Time tomorrow, December 27th. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have to wait till next week. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff. There's general conversation, biblical cosmology, Hebrew learning, prayer closet. What about Paul? Lots of discussions going on there. Dietary discussions, moderator chats just for the moderators, and now the new Torah singles. So uh, hopefully you guys will benefit from that. But like anything else, you know, uh, when you're talking about uh, interacting with people online, you always have to be careful, you know, even in places like this, because you never know who's going to show up. So obviously use wisdom, discernment, prayer, uh, you know, before getting into a relationship with anybody. But, uh, you know, hopefully that will be a valuable resource for you. And continuing on the Virtual House Church website, uh, what about Paul, right? We got to deal with the writings of Paul. A lot of people want to, you know, think that Paul is against what we're doing here. He's actually not. Uh, but the only way you're going to know that is if you spend time studying what Paul read before you we read what Paul wrote. If you spend time understanding the same things that he did, his writings take on a whole new meaning. Uh, but these are frequently asked questions right here, uh, dealing with Paul and, of course, the book of Galatians. Also, uh, hey, are you really a foolish Galatian for trying to obey Yahuwah? Well, we address that here on this link right there. The Hebrew calendar page takes you to a page that, dealing with the calendars. When we get the new calendars, which will be coming up in the next few months, because uh, the Hebrew calendar starts in the spring. So these are still good until uh, the month of Passover, anyway. Um, new ones will post here. And you'll notice some new things pop up on the right-hand side here. You can search Virtual House Church website for keywords. Um, the Yahuwah's Love Letter and Psalm 91 audio, I think, will be a real blessing to you if you haven't heard those before. And tools that I like to use online, Bible, blueletterbible.org, biblegateway.com, bible.cc, and bible.is are resources that I use a lot, as well as the Aramaic, English, New Testament Bible. You might uh, find some benefit there. For those who believe in what we're doing here and want to continue to support us, we are listener-supported, so you can support our ministry here. And for those of you who have done so in the past, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Cannot do it without you. I truly mean that. And Sheila and I, of course, certainly appreciate any support you want to give to us because this is all we do here. And also the uh, other ministries that I enjoy are Torah Family by Steve Tria, New to Torah, Zach Bauer, 119 Ministries, Unlearn is Lex Meyer, and 
Jim Staley teachings right there if you click on those links. So then that takes us to this week's study. This week's study page, every week I update this. This is These are the scriptures right here. You can just click on this. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt. And have them read to you if you would like. The Torah portion distilled into 60 seconds by a ministry called Parsha in 60 seconds. Parsha just being the Hebrew word for study. And uh, this is the video we're doing right now. So when we're done, it will archive here. And this page will stay like this for a week. I'll keep it here probably till next Friday which is typically when I update this page. And then if you click on this right here, oh, let me scroll down to the bottom. Some people don't know this. Um, the If you get all five of the Torah workbooks, they're only in the King James. I only have uh, the King James and all five, uh, all five done in the King James. Um, I am going to try to get this year, hopefully, the World English Bible version done in all five. I only have right now Genesis and Exodus. But uh, if, you, if you don't like all of these and thous and everything, King James can be kind of difficult to understand sometimes and read. Uh, I really have become quite fond of the WEB version, World English Bible, and I have it available for Genesis as well as Exodus. Hopefully I'll get the other three done this year and in time for those books. So by the time we get to Leviticus, hopefully, hopefully I'll have the WEB version of um, Leviticus done by then. Uh, so, uh, scrolling back up here, if you click on this, this is our study page. And wow, is there a lot to talk about for this week's Torah portion, wrapping up the book of Genesis. If you click on uh, this right here, if you're viewing this on a mobile device, it takes you to a more mobile-friendly version of the website where it can resize. So like if you're looking at a cell phone, it looks something like that, or perhaps a tablet will look like this, or if you're viewing it online like this, so that's sort of more of a uh, interactive version right there. Again, here are the scriptures. It takes you to Bible Gateway, right to the Bible Gateway website for these scriptures. And let's go ahead and view the Parsha in 60 seconds. We'll jump in here. Shalom and welcome to Parsha in 60 seconds. Today's portion is from Genesis 47:28 through 50:26. It is called Vayehi, which means and he lived. Jacob was old and ready to die. He wanted to be buried with Abraham and Isaac and bless his children before he departed. Jacob blessed Joseph's sons and prophesied that the younger would rule the older. Jacob then prophesied over the rest of his sons. Reuben would have Jacob's might, but be unstable as water. Simeon and Levi were violent. Judah would rule his brothers and be very wealthy. Zebulun would be a sailor. Issachar would be a hard worker. Dan would judge his people. Gad would be mugged, but would mug his muggers in return. Asher would make really good bread. Naphtali would give good advice. Joseph would be like a fruitful vine and bless everyone. Benjamin would be a ravenous wolf that devours its prey. After all that, Jacob died and was buried in Canaan. Joseph's brothers were scared that Joseph would punish them for their evil. But Joseph forgave them and told them not to fear, for it was God's plan all along. Joseph grew old. He made the children of Israel swear to carry his bones to Canaan. Joseph died in Egypt. And that is Vayachi in 60 seconds. All right. So that's the Torah portion distilled down to 60 seconds. And you, if you want to go deeper, you can check out the broadcast we did in 2012 and 2013 and 2017 here. The 2016-2017 uh, broadcast, we were continuing after we finished Deuteronomy. We continued uh, with the rest of the Bible. So we were in Judges. Uh, I think this was the week of Samson. So uh, if you, you listen to that, you can listen to uh, the portion from Judges that dealt with that. And the 2018 was a really good broadcast, 2017-18. Um, this one right here uh, with John Pounders and Chad Schaefer and Patricia Hall 
did a really good breakdown talking about the various tribes and the blessings that were uh, given to each one of them by Jacob before he died. Good broadcast there. Again, this is the one we're doing right now. This is the way biblical fellowship right here, their study on it. Again, these commentaries, I can't highly recommend them enough. These are written by Ardell from Your Living Waters. You can download those PDFs and print them off. Really recommend you do so. This week's Torah portion paralleled in the book of Joshua, four chapters right here, if you want to go deeper into that. And notes from uh, this study in the previous years, the Ephraim Awakening video that I did, the Identity Crisis video, Jim, and 119 right there. And these are blogs dealing with the identity of the church. Who is the church? Is the church separate from Israel? Uh, here at the Virtual House Church, we say no. The church is Israel. This is not replacement theology. This is grafting theology. Romans chapter 7 through 11 tells you that if you accept Christ, you get grafted into the cultivated olive tree. That is Israel. The church is Israel. These are some blogs that will help you understand that better. Uh, Discovering the 12 tribes, the lost tribes of Israel. There's a website here by Stephen M. Collins. He's done a ton of research on that. Again, this is uh, uh, the scripture of Romans chapter 11 and other resources here for you to check out as well. I think that's about it. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. I am joined once again this week uh, with my co-hosts, Jake Grant and Juan Carlos. Hey, guys, how you doing? Shabbat shalom. Hey, Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Yeah, lots to talk about today. So uh, I've already done enough talking, so we'll go ahead and jump in. Uh, I guess we'll start with uh, Jake. What are your thoughts on this week's Torah portion and or half Torah and New Testament scriptures? So, uh, Vayaki, uh, Genesis 47, 28 through 50, 26. This is basically the the penultimate moment of Jacob's life where he dishes out kind of his final word to his sons. And uh, and this, uh, this whole Torah portion, I think it's really interesting where it lands in terms of what part of the year we're in right now. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and what I'm going to get at is uh, the main focal word that I could sum up the whole point of this particular Torah portion is the word inheritance or heritage, right? So what Jacob is going to give to his sons in terms of their his final blessing is uh, is important, but also understanding heritage and the importance of heritage in our lives and for our families and just our our spiritual and mental well-being um, is, is so important because the things we do uh, – really characterize who we are. And that's what we find out with some of these blessings. You see that uh, some of the sons, because of their actions, get skipped over in terms of inheritance. And, uh, and, and what an interesting thing, because, you know, tradition tells us one thing, and tradition is that uh, the oldest son, right, would always get the blessing, would always get the best of the best, uh, the double portion. Uh, but we see that the sons of Jacob and the patriarchs, they, they often did things that were against the normal kind of cultural tradition of the time. Uh, and what a cool thing, because later on you have uh, Yeshua being a total uh, tradition breaker himself. Um, but specifically, I'm focusing on um, the instance of Jacob uh, passing over the, the older sons because of their sin. Um, and moving to you know the younger sons, or in the case of Ephraim and Manasseh later on in the Torah portion, and you have him giving a greater blessing to the younger uh, over the older. And and this is contrary to what would have been tradition at the time, where the oldest would have always gotten the double portion, you know. 
and uh, and I think that's an interesting thing. And and this whole thing, this whole tour portion, and this uh, this topic of heritage, is all something that points to the Messiah. When we really dig into the deep meaning of uh, you know what heritage we have as believers uh, through. Uh, these promises that were given through uh, the patriarchs to Abraham uh, um, because of the Messiah, Yeshua. Um, and so it is because of him, according to Ephesians, that we can uh, become fellow heirs and some of these promises and, and the uh, inheritance and the uh, just the the amazing things that God had promised to his chosen people can now be you know grasped hold of by the nations, uh, particularly because we see uh, you know, they lost their identity. They messed up. They they lost their opportunity to really uh, be that light and emissary to the nations later on down the road. Um, but some of these promises uh, that we see Jacob given, um, we see play out in the lives of these tribes as they are dispersed amongst the nations. Um, I think one that was really interesting that uh, I just um, uh, have been reading through, I, I really want to touch on some uh, passages uh, that are expounded on in the in the Jasher part of this portion. There's this beautiful account of the funeral procession of Jacob, and uh, and the melancholy end to Esau. You know, found in these other texts that is actually excluded from our uh, traditional. You know, the the Genesis portion. And I wonder if that's just to you know hide the shame of Esau um, and and kind of how he ended his narrative. Um, and I wanted to talk about that, um, a little bit today cause I found that fascinating. But, uh, one of the examples of Jacob being prophetic and, and how the tribes would kind of play out this role is, uh, he had this really interesting prophecy that he said over Dan, um, and, uh, and how Dan would be kind of this, uh, you know, uh, adder thing, by the way, let me, let me find this, uh, portion, um, about Dan, and uh, and the kind of the prophecy over Dan is, is Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path that bites the horse's heels so that the, his rider falls backward. Um, so this Dan being the serpent, by the way, is kind of played out in the role of a later judge of Israel, Samson, who ends up being a judge of Israel and uh, and, you know, totally annihilating the Philistines and stuff. Um but there's some other things here that uh, really stood out to me, um, in particular the the uh, the Targum uh, recording of uh, this instance. But, anyways, I, I wanted to talk about heritage, and I, I before I start reading passages, I wanted to toss it back over to you guys and and see, you know, uh, we're in a time right now. Um, the holiday season uh, is all about heritage and inheritance, and. Uh, we have just yesterday you had you know the biggest national you know worldwide holiday, uh, and it's kind of the heritage or inheritance that the world presents to us, uh, and this is kind of the moments that they want us to uh, make these fond family memories. Uh, but we what we see is that um, there's this constant battle between the world and uh, the sons of the Most High. You know the people that want to be set apart by the Most High. And the, the battle really starts with the family and the things that are passed down generationally. And that's why uh, I wanted to characterize this whole tour portion by the word heritage, because um, it's the things that we pass down, the things that we teach our children, and, and the things that we speak over our children that is then carried into the future generations. And what the world would have us do is pass down, uh, you know, uh, things that uh, are, you know— it, 
in a way based in a lie. And what they do is they replace the heritage that uh, we can find in in the book, right? In the in the sons of Jacob, uh, we have the promises and the covenants given. And whenever we start to realize that the scripture can be part of our heritage, uh, we can start to adopt some of these promises and covenants that were walked in by the very patriarchs we're reading about in the Torah portion. And uh, and so, you know, I, I want to ask you guys, you know, toss back, you know, this is a time where kind of people that want to keep biblical things in biblical ways uh, are kind of button heads. And and uh, and I, I really find that the butting of the heads is is because we realize it is so important what we're teaching and doing with our children and speaking over them and, 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 and the practices that we go through to commemorate different things in our lives. And, uh, for example, you know, when, when we base our heritage around, um, the feasts and the things in the scripture that really help us learn more about the most high, the thing that we're passing down to our children, the thing that we're teaching them in practicing out those appointed times or those, those holy days, um, is to keep the commandments in the word of God. Uh, but on the other hand, you have the things that the world would encourage us to do uh, as a, a group or as a family uh, based on you know things that don't necessarily encourage uh, good attributes, I guess, that would be passed down. And instead, we're encouraging uh, you know consumerism. You know, I, I don't want to get get into kind of the generic anti-Christmas spiel, but I really want, wanted to touch on this importance and significance of heritage and the things that we do with our families and how this is kind of the main theme of uh, this tour portion. Well, yeah, for sure. Actually, oh, go ahead, Juan. Go ahead. No, go okay. ahead. So th this is a very good point, uh, Jake, and, and uh, it's a very curious because I had something regarding this as well in my notes. And, uh, you know, I, I have the chance to, to take a look in a video of uh, Zachary Bauer this week. And he's talking about the, the, the what is written in the book of Proverbs, in Michelet in Hebrew, about that we need to train uh, our children in the way. And, uh, you know, the, uh, in his video, he was uh, talking about the, the importance uh, of, this, uh, of this verse in the scripture. Uh, but he was taking it in a different angle, and it was very interesting. I, I will, I will encourage everyone to take a look in the video in the New Totora channel, because uh, he went to the Hebrew word uh, that was translated as uh, "trained up the children," and, and, and he was exposing that, uh, explaining that the, this word in Hebrew, the, re the real meaning, is "dedicate the children." It's dedication. It's coming from the, the root word "hana." Is the same from "hanukkah." Is dedication. So, 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 so the meaning he put in, in, in the word is that we need to dedicate the children to, to, to Yahuwah Elohim. And, and this has a so, so beautiful uh, meaning when you, when you take it in that way, because uh, it somehow is what we see in this, uh, in this portion. We see the blessings and, and also the, the, the laying on uh, of the hands of Yaakov over the heads of the two children of uh, Joseph. And, uh, you know, if we go to the, to, to the book of Hebrews, uh, I think it's in the chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews. Yes, it's in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Uh, the, uh, Paul, I, I believe that Paul was the one writing this book. Uh, he was talking about the, uh, what are the basis and the foundation of the teachings. And one of the foundation of the teachings is, is exactly in the verse 2. is laying on of hands. 
and we see this uh, in, in multiple places in the scripture. So, so when you when you talk about heritage, uh, Jake, I'm connecting to what you're saying with this thing that we need to dedicate the children to Yahuwah Elohim, and by dedicating the children, is going uh, uh, together with blessings, and also is going together with imposing of the hands over the head of the children. And, and this is exactly what we see here, together with the blessing that we see, that more but more than blessing in the chapter 49, for me is that is the prophecy of Jacob, uh, Jacob, Jacob in Hebrew, he was a prophesying of what's going to happen in the future. But, uh, you know, I think the dedication of the children, imposing the hands, blessing over the children, especially in this season that we are the, we are now with this all these holidays of the world, I think is so, so important. You know, I'm speaking first to myself. I have uh, two two children. And, you know, I have been feeling in, the, in my heart for, for, for many years or sometimes about taking this practice according to the scripture about imposing the hand, about giving the blessing, about declaring things, and I have not done it uh, do it yet. I think it's something that uh, we need to take it uh, to our heart and start doing it and blessing the children, especially on the, on the times that we're living that are so dark and there are so many problems. We need to guide the children on the way and in the life of Yahuwah. That, that's my take, and it's, it's, it's nice that you mentioned it, uh, Jake. So, um, Juan Carlos, I was just looking on YouTube um, let me screen share here. Uh, is is this the video you were talking about on Zach's dedicate the child? Yes, that one. Uh, you know, very... yeah, you know, it's only ten minutes long. I haven't seen it before, so you think it's good to play now? Do you think it's pertinent to what we're discussing? Yeah, I think I think to the point that Jake brought and what I said, I think is is going to be good. Okay, you, you can do it, Rob. Yeah, well. I haven't seen it before. Uh, if you guys are cool with it, I'll go ahead and play it here. Let's do that. Everybody, Zach again, NewsTour.com. Coming in and making a video for you today. We are going to go on a little bit of a rant journey. So come along with me. <laughs> There's been this Bible verse that has been a thorn in my side for, I don't know, probably the last five or six years or so. And it's this Bible verse in Proverbs that I see misused all the time. And I really think to the detriment of our families. And let me explain. So it's this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 6, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child and the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, if you're like me, you've seen, most people are familiar with this verse. You see it all over social media. It's used in all kinds of memes and it's used for edification, you know, throughout the body. And we see this everywhere. And I have seen this, you know, if you're like me, Maybe you've grown up in the church. I grew up in the Baptist tradition, and I saw this verse all the time growing up. And as I was growing up, I saw all over all these parents raising children, training them up in the way they should go, and they departed from it. And so, I mean, I don't know like you. I had this book that was put out by Answers in Genesis years ago, Ken Ham, and it was talking about all these children who were raised in the church, and then they left. And it said, I think the name of the book was Already Gone. I have it sitting on my bookshelf. Already Gone. And there's these parents who raise up their children in church. They go to, they go to church every Sunday. They would go to Sunday school. They would go to, um, you know, Wednesday services. And when they get older, they become atheists. 
lot of that is because they send them to schools. Most of the schools are pagan-oriented, or the, the schools at the colleges especially, the professors there are just waiting, ready to sink their teeth into these kids because these kids were not taught apologetics. They were not taught how to defend the word at their, at their churches, their, local, their youth groups, and things like that. And so when they get to school, they're unprepared for when these professors just dive in and sink their teeth into them, and um, they rip them to shreds. So what happened here? What's going on? The problem is you have interpreted this verse. This verse is one of the verses in the Bible most often used, but very, very wrongly interpreted, very, very wrongly translated. That word train up is not what that word means. Um, the word there you'll find is hanak, hanak. Not to train up. It means to dedicate. It's only used one time for train up, and that's in this verse here, uh, Proverbs 22, 6. And what it really means is to dedicate, to declare something. And this is something that Christianity in the very beginning kind of gets right, but the Jewish tradition gets it more right. Um, in, in the Baptist tradition where I grew up, they had these uh, baby dedications. Have you, are you familiar with this? Uh, uh, someone has a baby, and they bring them up on stage, and the pastor prays over all the children on stage usually. And, uh, you know, sort of gives them a blessing. And it's called a baby dedication. The Catholics have a, a tradition like this as well. It's a little more ceremonial. Um, Baptists are a little more less ceremonial in this, in this aspect, in this tradition. But it's the same thing, basically, to dedicate this child. But then they stop. They stop. The Jewish tradition, however, is more accurate. Where every Shabbat, every day, the seventh day that you're not supposed to work, uh, you bring your children in and you lay hands on them. A lot of times the father will lay hands on them and will give them a blessing and will declare what the purpose of that child is. Well, with my children, I put my hands on them and um, right hand goes on my oldest firstborn, uh, left hand goes on my youngest, uh, and I give them a blessing. And I say, you are blessed and I'm blessing you that you will be Guarders of the Torah. You will be seekers of the Torah always. You will always be seekers of, fa of the Father's word. And you will one day have a wife and you will lead that family. And you will take that family and they will be a blessing to the kingdom. And so I, I say these things over them and I bless them. I try to bless them with good health and I try to, you know, give them a, a course in life to, to set sail for. And I declare these things over them. And, um, that's what I believe that this verse is saying. We're not doing that as families. A lot, at least in the, in the Baptist tradition where I grew up, we don't do this. And then we wonder why our kids go off and they never come back. As, as Growing up in my youth group, I look back on the people I know in my youth group, and they have fallen for adultery. They have, fallen, they have become atheists, many of them. They have uh, just completely gone away from the Father's word. Uh, and I, I'm shocked at some of the people who in my younger years were so on fire for God and today they're, they're, they don't even care or they, you know, all about their, you know, they're voting for, they're big into movements for certain politicians who are all about baby killing, um, abortions and gay rights and all, all these liberal causes that are completely adversarial to God's word. It boggles my mind. The reason I'm doing this rant today is because I was on Instagram. 
because I'm not on Facebook anymore. Um, and I don't get on Instagram too often. I don't post every day for sure. Um, but I saw this meme. It says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And so I'm looking at this. I mean, this is even worse than, you know, the Bible verse that we have from the King James. Train up, but just start children off. What do you mean? So we'll start going to church. And this is not what it means. This is not what the verse actually says in the Hebrew. The verse actually says in the Hebrew to dedicate, to declare. When Solomon dedicated the temple, it was Hanak. He dedicated, he declared its purpose, its intended use was to worship the Father. I think that should be the same for our kids. We should declare to the heavens, to all the world, their intended purpose. And that's to serve God. I don't think we're doing that today. And we wonder why our kids are going. No, I mean, I have young fruit. Okay. I don't know if that's what it's going to be or not. I, I, I hope so. I'm going with that because, you know, a lot of people, there's been articles, there's been books written on why are Jewish people so successful in life. I think one of the reasons is because from very birth, all the time they're growing up, if they're raised in a traditional Jewish home, they have people, they have elders who are over them, praying over them, blessing them, and dedicating them, declaring to the world, this is what you will do. You will be successful. You will worship the, the Lord God Almighty. You will. And not always they do these things, but they bless them with good homes. They, they say, you will have good homes. You will have good children. You will have fruit in your life. You will have this. You will have that. And they raise up, they grow up, and they're successful. They're successful in many of the things that they put their hands to do. Could there be power in your words? Fathers, this is more of a message for you because I think this is, it comes down to your responsibility. You have power in your words. And so take that job seriously as a dad and Hanak, declare, you know, how your children will go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Do that, Father. See, see, see if that. I, I don't think you should take. I think that's you know we look at tradition sometimes and we're like, oh, that's just tradition. I don't think this is a tradition we should take lightly. Um, and I think it, it really can be based in Scripture. We look at the blessings that the fathers give over their children or over their families on Shabbat, and we just kind of look at it. Eh. But really, I think it's based in Scripture. And really, we've kind of morphed away from that because we've misinterpreted some verses, this being pr a prime example. And others come to my mind uh, in, this, in this situation, in this topic, in this context. Um, and I'm sure some other verses come to mind for you as well. I don't want to go into all of them, but this one especially because I see this one so prominently displayed all throughout the Internet. And I think it's being displayed wrong, wrongly, inaccurately, in its context. Dedicate. Dedicate a child in the way he should go. Declare to the world the purpose of this child, what its purpose is. Um, the same way it's used in other contexts uh, throughout, uh, it's only used a few times, this particular version of it um, is used a few times. But each time it's being declared, I'm declaring. Just food for thought today as I'm going through. I'm working on my series. Um, it should be out in a couple weeks. I'm sorry, guys. I've just been behind on other things too. Um, work has been fantastic. I have been very busy. Uh, since Sukkot, so I have not been online a lot. And um, But, you know, work is good. Things are good. Building a wine cellar on the homestead. If you're watching our other channel, you already know that. Um, and I'm getting through my series, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So I'm putting all that together as well. But I saw this online today. I'm like, man, I just... Uh, uh, uh. Guys, husbands, dads, you, it's important. Dedicate your child in the way they should go when they're old. 
they will not depart from it. All right, we'll leave it at that. Go home, read your Bible. Thanks. Very good. Yeah. Uh, boy, I look like he was holding up a book, uh, Lost Book of Enoch or something when he at the end there. If I saw that right, I'd have to go back and rewind it. That's kind of cool. That, that verse is interesting, though. Um, I agree completely with what Zach has said and, and share uh, in his lament. Like, I can think of my youth group. I mean, it was pretty huge. We had a huge youth group, but only a handful of us uh, continued on in some form of ministry or what have you. Um, but what's interesting about that verse, and I do agree with the dedication side of it, I think, you know, constantly speaking life over somebody uh, is like pre-programming them for success. I mean, there are many people, and you can look at the testimonies of people who have, you know, handicaps, physical disabilities, and things like that, that have accomplished tremendous things. And what's the difference between somebody who has a handicap or has some kind of traumatic event and doesn't do anything, you know, uh, lives their life in despair versus somebody who could have the same type of handicap or even worse, and they're, they've gone on to do amazing things. What you'll find is typically there's a, a, a parent or um, somebody of influence in their life constantly telling them, you know what, you can do this. You can do that. So they just grow up believing they can, and they 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 just push through. I think, you know, there's tremendous value in in like Zach said, there's the power of life and death is in the tongue. So, um, dedicating and speaking life over somebody, you know, a, a child especially growing up, uh, is extremely beneficial. But, I you know I, I think train up a child. I think it still works. I think you know maybe the Hebrew word is a little bit more forceful as Zach is trying to point out there. But I think the concept of training up a child and it, when he's old he will not depart from it i think is is still a valid concept and uh, just tell a quick story on that uh some people know that uh as i'm working on my tv series seed i've run into uh, a wide range of interesting people who have come and gone uh some are still involved uh, with the project but uh a while back i got a, a phone call from uh, a guy that was doing some music for me for free. He was he was doing some music for Seed. And he said, uh, hey, uh, have you ever heard of the band Queensryche? And I'm like, uh, yeah, are you kidding? I was just listening to him like 10 minutes ago in my car. Because <laughs> one of my favorite CDs, uh, uh, secular CDs, is uh, the CD Empire by um, Queensryche. And a lot of times when I need like sort of my rocky moment, if I need a little bit of pep, you know, I'll listen to their song "Best Man," and uh, I happened to be listening to it in my car right before I got home and got this phone call from my friend John Mason, who said, uh, "You ever heard of this band Queensrÿche?" I said, "Yeah, why?" He says, "Well, because the uh, founding member of the band and drummer uh, Scott Rockenfield is trying to get a hold of you." I'm like, "What? <laughs> Are you kidding me?" And he's like, "No, he, he and, and he John the he knew him because he was actually he played guitar and he was doing guitar work for uh, Scott. Uh, Scott was putting together some uh, like royalty free license. You you could buy out music that you could play for productions or whatever. So um, he was talking with Scott. Scott saw you know he's asking John, hey, what are you up to? And, yeah, I'm doing this thing for CD. And anyway, he Scott looked into it and he liked it and he wanted to get a hold of me. So John said, you know, do you mind if I give him your contact information? I'm like, no, do it. And so I ended up uh, having a great conversation with Scott, and he did some music for me for Seed. And uh, as we started moving forward in our relationship and business-wise, he was like, well, I'm going to have to turn you over to my manager. You know, she handles all the business side of it. I'm like, okay. So he turns me over to her manager, and 
then like several months later, uh, she ended up calling me and saying, hey, listen, I'm going to be at a conference in Dallas. Uh, I'd love to meet up with you. I said, okay. So uh, she told me the name of the conference. I forget what it was now, but uh, I happen to know it was a pastor's conference. So I'm thinking, what is what is happening here, right? So she comes to town, and the, the office that I had at the time had a nice uh, cafe uh, area in, in the building. And so I said, you know, why wouldn't we, we meet here? We could do lunch there and then go up to my office and we can chat. So she came to meet with me for lunch. And uh, as we sat down, because I knew she was going to a pastor's conference, I I I, I said, uh, would you mind if I pray over the food before we before we eat? And she didn't know I was a Christian, so uh, she's kind of looking at me like, uh, yeah, sure. So <laughs> I pray over you know the food and everything, and after I, I prayed, she goes, that was really nice. She says, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. She goes, is Seed a Christian production? I said, well, yes and no. It's meant to be a secular production, but it's going to be written from a biblical worldview because I come from a biblical worldview. And she's like, wow. So we eat and we go up to my room after the, the my office up there afterwards and start talking. And she said she was part of Warner Brothers, was like a, a big wig at Warner Brothers. And, you know, she'd been a believer for some time, but she just got sick of all the disgusting stuff that goes on in Hollywood and everything and she wanted out so she's like you know I'm good at what I do so I think I'll go into uh, being like a manager for for musicians and she was thinking Christian but all of her clients were like heavy metal headbangers from like the 80s <laughs> and so she's get like you know uh, Twisted Sister and Cinderella and like all these big hair bands from the 80s coming to her and she's like father I, I'm, I'm trying to get out of all this you know, why are you bringing all these people to me? And she goes, I started to realize something. She goes, many of these hard rocking bands, many of the people in those bands grew up in Christian families. They, they grew up in the church and they went through a rebellious phase like Zach was talking about. You know, they went away from God. You know, th- things got them turned off to the church or whatever and they went off into rebellion and went off into these, you know, hair metal bands and whatnot and sex, drugs and rock and roll and all that stuff. But she says, what's interesting is she quoted this scripture. She said, you know that scripture, Proverbs 22, 6? I said, yeah. She goes, note that it says when they're old, they will not depart from it. <laughs> Many of these people, you know, they're now in their, you know, 50s and 60s and, you know, they have children and grandchildren and they're realizing, hey, you know, I, I did what I did, but I don't really want my kids growing up in that. And so they're, they've come kind of around full circle to the way they were trained up in the scriptures as children, even though they went through a rebellious phase, as they come around in their old age, you know, they're coming back to what they were trained with. So, um, you know, I, I don't give up hope because, you know, I've even seen it in some of my friends that, that I knew that went down. You know, I never did. I never departed. I, I've, I've stayed the course my entire life, but I know many in my youth group, like Zach, who did depart. But, again, in their old age, you know, we've got the gray going on here. Uh, they're coming back around again. So uh, thanks for sharing that, Juan Carlos. I really appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if that addresses, uh, Jake, your question uh, directly, what you had earlier, but uh, a little interesting uh, side trail we went on there. Yeah, I can definitely relate with that as well. Um, I think uh, a lot of people departing from the faith whenever they grew up in a Christian home uh, in a way is tied to identity. Um, You know, people... You know, for me personally, you know, I, I kind of did that same thing. You know, I grew up in a, a missionary home uh, overseas around kind of the cream of the crop of the Christian church, so to speak. You know, a lot of different denominations and stuff. 
that we uh, you know worked with over there on the mission field. But um, it wasn't until uh, later on down the road that I chose the faith to be a faith of my own and not just my parents' faith um, that it actually meant something. And so like identity is tied to this whole process of heritage and the things that we speak over our children, the things that we do as families. And I think that's why we see in today's culture so many people departing from the faith because we really do have a false heritage kind of being presented along with the truth of the Word of God, you know, and, and this is due in part to some of the things we've inherited from the Catholic Church and and a lot of the traditions of different societies that have kind of melted their way down um, into today's world that uh, when somebody starts to really question the things that their family does in a traditional, generic, you know, Christian household, uh, they keep Christmas, Easter, they do holidays, it's no big deal, uh, you know, Jewish stuff is Jewish stuff. We're you know, homegrown, hardcore Christian. Well, what does that really mean? Well, when you start to test the things that our, our family has propped up for probably you know three or four generations, Christmas has not been really that long of a, uh, a heavily celebrated holiday, for example. Um, we find that you know th- this is kind of a fluffed up Hollywood presentation of of heritage that we're all being fed, and what we're doing is we're taking a bite, and it's just sweet nothing. You know, it's sweet nothingness um, whenever we look into the actual origins of some of these practices. And that's why it's so important for us to align ourselves to a a uh, biblical-oriented heritage and and traditions and practices that are based on Scripture, not just uh, the world and not just what everybody does around us. uh, But we base what we do off of what we're actually uh, seeing the the set-apart sons of God did throughout history. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, why I feel people are departing from the faith today, because, you know, their whole life they're told, Jesus is real, Jesus is real, he's your savior, um, and we're keeping Christmas every year, celebrating his birth on Christmas, and then as soon as somebody her- hits 18 or, uh, you know, or gets on Google, they discover that December 25th is actually not really his birthday, and this is actually the same birthday as all these other deities throughout history, well... You're telling me my entire life you've told me Christ was born on this day, and yet, uh, you know, I'm realizing that you've been lying to me this entire time. Mm-hmm. And the problem there is that uh, traditional, you know, Christians that you know are keeping these holidays, uh, they're unable to replace these traditions with something that's found in the Word, like things found in Leviticus 23. And uh, and I think that's why people are driven away from the faith, because they find hypocrisies, they find these inconsistencies in the narrative, um, but truth doesn't shun being found out. Truth doesn't shun having the light shined on it. And I think whenever you really just boil everything away and you say, give me what's true, give me what's really honoring and pleasing to the Most High, and you boil all these worldly traditions away, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this... Um, ascetic thing where you have to, you know, be a, a, a boring person that just stays in and doesn't do any fun stuff. You know, you don't have celebrations or parties, but instead the, the celebrations and parties and, and things you do and the joy that you bring into your life is all founded and based on the word of God. And then when you present that to your family, then you have this amazing, beautiful, kind of like awesome, just like the, the warrior, like cool heritage that you find in the scripture that that we can look back on uh, all these examples of these mighty men of bravery um, and just and to walk out the faith of, of the patriarchs, right? That is so 
significant compared to the heritage that the world would hand us, which is, oh, you know, gather around this holiday that we fabricated out of, you know, movies and commercials with Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> you know, what is more meaningful? What's going to have a longer impact on on keeping a strong family faith and people who desire to be part of the covenants? Um, it has to be founded in truth. And uh, I know I got in a rabbit trail there too, but uh, that's why I feel people are pushed away from the faith is because they're finding these inconsistencies and they can't point back to the word of God as to why they're practicing them. Yeah, amen. Oh, that's a very good point, uh, Jake. And actually, just, just to answer very quickly, because I saw something in, in the chat uh, a minute ago, we're asking how this, what we're discussing is connected to the portion. And I think this is mainly connected to, in my point of view, the blessing that we see Jacob giving to Ephraim and Menashe, and also the prophecy that he was giving to to, to his sons for the last days. Mm -hmm. So so that's important. And, and you know, I was reading in the book of uh, Yashar, the book of Yashar, uh, in the chapter 55, verse 35, it says the following, and Joseph was very aged, advancing days, and his two sons, Ephraim and Menashe, remained constantly in the house of Jacob, together with the children of the sons of Jacob, their brothers, to learn the ways of Yahuwah and his Torah. So, so we see after this a blessing that he was imposing the, his hands over the two child, the two children. They were continue in his house with the rest of the children, learning the way of Yahuwah, the Torah of Yahuwah. And this is totally connected to what you said, uh, Jake. You know, the, we need to train, we need to dedicate, we need to do all of this stuff with the children in order to to, to, to make sure. You know, the, it's not up to us, it's up to Yahuwah and the guidance of the Ruach Hovich, what's going to happen with the, with the children. But uh, we need to do everything that is in our hands, as we see in the example in this portion, to, to, to pad the way of the of the children in the future. Uh, so, you know, regarding this tour portion, I had two things uh, I wanted to talk about today. Um, if you guys are interested, you know, maybe you can tell me which one. Uh, but one of which was I really wanted to talk about the funeral procession of of Jacob and how in, a, in the Jasher uh, portion it's prophetic to the arrangement of the tribes of Israel. Uh, in the camp, and also how this funeral procession is a prophetic significant thing pointing to the Messiah, uh, kind of as a, a final wrap-up as that first topic. And and then the other topic I wanted to talk about was the fascinating occurrence uh, in Jasher chapter 56 of, uh, of Esau kind of playing this melancholy rollout uh, where he demonstrates his trying to thwart Jacob one final time um, and just the, uh, you know, the backhandedness of Esau and why uh, it is said in Scripture that, that Yah hated Esau and loved Jacob. Uh, well, it's because of his actions whenever you look at what Esau does. And in this particular occurrence of the burial of Jacob, uh, you have Esau coming, and, and it's actually um, here in this account in Jasher where they say that Esau died and how he died is so fascinating but uh, one of those two things I, I would love to talk about if you guys are interested yeah absolutely I I, I skimmed over those chapters just to, to to get the references to have on the website so I was just basically looking okay 
here's what Genesis has to say. So what are the portions in Joshua that cover this? So I was kind of quickly skimming through it, go, yeah, 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 until I got to the part where Joseph died. I said, okay, so that's 56 through 59. Uh, but I didn't actually do a, a thorough read-through of it. I just I saw that Esau played a pretty prominent role there, and I thought, okay, I'll get back to it. So, yeah, if you want to share with us, man, that'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fascinating. You know, the reason I'm touching on some of these extra biblical writings a lot in kind of our discussion, and at least this cycle of the Torah portions is, yes, while we're going through Genesis, um, some of these other things are really expounding, a, you know, a fascinating amount on just kind of the background, and it, it's really bringing to life uh, some of these Torah portions that I've gone through for many years, and I've never really spent a lot of time. So for those of you wondering why I keep bringing up Jazz, Asher in the Targums and all that. That's kind of why. But of course, you know, take it or leave it, you know, spit out the bone, you know, spit out the bones, chew the meat or whatever. But um, okay, so in Jasher, I'm going to maybe start with Jasher chapter 56 and the burial account of Jacob and how this is a prophetic tie to what the tribes of Israel did. And also, um, you know, there's an interesting uh, thought there I have regarding a, a, a foreshadow of the Messiah. Uh, but it's in Jasher chapter 56, um, uh, verses 11. And uh, it says, um, Howbeit take heed, I pray you, that none of your sons carry me, only yourselves. And this is the manner you shall do unto me when you carry my body to go with it to the land of Canaan to bury me. Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun shall carry my briar on the eastern side, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad at the south, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin at the west, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali at the north. And it says, Let not Levi carry with you, for he and his sons will carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with the Israelites in their camp. Neither let Joseph my son carry, for as a king, so let his glory be, howbeit Ephraim and Manasseh shall be in their stead. So the significance of here is wow. uh, Jacob had this massive prophetic moment mm -hmm. um, before he died where he predicted a whole bunch of different things. If you kind of read through these Targums and, and Jasher, there's multiple things kind of uh, recorded there. Now, of course, we can say, you know, in hindsight, this could have been added by rabbis post, but at the same time, there are many examples of how the patriarchs were very prophetic of things that happened. So it is very likely that some of these uh could have been the very prophecies that Jacob gave. So uh, him, you know, particularly asking them to carry his body in the formation that he did in, mm. in verse 12 is the same formation that the tribes of Israel gathered around the tent of the tabernacle in the wilderness when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, this is really fascinating because it's almost in a way that Jacob's body, uh, as they are carrying him up to the promised land, was almost like a foreshadow of the tabernacle uh, where the, the presence of, of Yah would reside when the tribes were going on their pilgrimage up to Israel. And, uh, and the significance here is, you know, the Messiah, um, later on in the New Testament, we know that, you know, you know he is uh, the son of, of God, and, um, and it's his body uh, that we become part of. There's a lot of body uh, prophetic language of, you know, uh, you know, we need to partake of his body, his, uh, um, where he says my, uh, in John six thirty five, um, and Jesus answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Um, and, uh, and he says that, uh, his body is the bread that we partake of, you know, and, um, and the significance I'm drawing here is because in the, uh, New Testament part of this Torah portion at the very end of it, um, 
we have uh, the New Testament portion was John 13. And at the very end of it, he makes this same reference to himself as kind of this bread. And uh, and th- what I'm going to draw out of this is the significance of bread in relation to the body of Messiah and how this is a, a sacrifice throughout the Old Testament and how this relates to our role as believers. And so at the very end of the New Testament portion, um, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I am whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And you know, this is this whole exchange where he broke the bread um, at Passover that time. And so um, something that I want to bring out to this is um, in the New Testament, believers are referred to as salt. All right. And did you know, a little trivia here, that every sacrifice in the Old Testament was commanded to be sacrificed along with salt? Mm. And salt was a requirement for these sacrifices. It had to be included with them. And the significance of this, of course, is that if the Messiah is the body, you know, he's the bread, right? And he's the sacrifice, he's the offering to the Most High, then we're the salt you know, that surrounds the bread, you know, and gives it its savor. And so um, all of this kind of was a a little rabbit trail, uh, connect the dot thought process I had tied to how the tribes of Israel, you know, are, you know, sprinkled around the the tabernacle and how this instance in Jasher is a a prophetic shadow of of them eventually kind of going up and and how the Messiah, you know, there's a lot of these uh, parallels that we can see with Jacob and these promises and uh, uh, and the significant coming of the Messiah, uh, he actually prophesies in the Targum portion of the Messiah coming, you know, to save the whole world. And uh, and so this is all very important, messianic and prophetic. And uh, so that was just the first little portion there I wanted to talk about with uh, this, uh, you know, this account of how the tribes were gathered around his funeral coffin there. But back to heritage. The amount of honor that Joseph bestowed on Jacob whenever they brought him up to Egypt was fantastical. Like you had all of Egypt was commanded to go up, according to this Jasher, and also we see in uh, in Genesis that all of Egypt went up mourning the death of Jacob, and uh, and all of the nations surrounding uh, the land of Canaan there that knew of Jacob and the sons of Jacob, they came up also mourning, and they mourned him like the death of a king, and and it said the same thing about the death of Isaac. But this particular example of the death of Jacob is even more extravagant. You had all of these people walking, and it says that the sons of Jacob were the ones who were asked to carry the coffin, and apparently, uh, according to Jasher, Jacob was buried in a gold coffin as well as being mummified uh, by Joseph, as were their custom. Uh, You know, Joseph had the doctors mummify the body of Jacob, according to these passages. And so they carried his body in this golden coffin up to Israel, uh, you know, to bury him in the cave that Abraham had bought, uh, from the hit, the Horites, I think. Uh, Ephron, the, Ephron the Hittite, the who may the have been, Hittite, who may have been yes. a satyr, <laughs> who may have, who been, may a have been a satyr. Yeah. And uh, and so this whole account kind of uh, goes on as they make this like really amazing, awe-inspiring journey. Like imagine if if people bestowed this amount of honor 
on 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 you when you died like this is crazy you know uh, you know of course you know in today's world we have you know the funeral caravans right everybody gets in a car you got the flags well just imagine all the sons of jacob commanded to carry their father and they walked by foot all the way to his grave well i can imagine a scene like uh like this let me let me just show you guys something real quick here um i had this uh had this uh ready to when i was talking about um <laughs> can you guys see this going on behind me uh, yeah so this is what we have <laughs> the famous meme right the the guys carrying the coffin we oh, have yeah. the sons of jacob doing this same thing right <laughs> carrying their father all the way through the middle east you know like all the sons on the side you know walking walking and uh and he said levi was not to carry him because that was a prophetic foreshadow of them carrying uh not you know uh i i'm gonna have to reread what he was saying there but um just the way that he had you know divvied out his funeral possession itself was prophetic and how amazing but so they go all the way through the land and all these people are gathering around you know doing this i don't know if they were doing it like this you know all, all partying or whatever but um you know the the sons of jacob you know they they carried their father all the way up to the cave there um that was bought by abraham the hittite and guess who meets them there uh blocking the way to the entrance of the cave none other than the sons of Esau. Now, this is a, you know, just really just a crazy account here, um, but it kind of is the final period also on the life of Esau, the twin brother of Jacob in this same, you know, account. Um, but it actually doesn't record that this is how Esau died in Genesis. But according to Jasher, I just wanted to read this and, uh, and, uh, and what it said here. Um, and it says in Jasher, Chapter 56, verses uh, 64, of course, the sons of Esau came, and they were going to fight. They basically said, hey, look, our father owns this cave, but um, uh, Esau knew that Joseph wasn't around during the days when uh, Jacob had basically bought all of the land of Canaan and given all the rest of the wealth of his father Isaac to Esau upon the death of Isaac, and they had made it a covenant and written it in a contract and put it in a clay jar and um and so esau is basically trying to be like hey look you know this is actually my land this is my inheritance and one final kind of nail in the coffin of him uh just trying to cheat jacob back of the inheritance that jacob had uh, bought from him in the very beginning of their stories and so it says this that uh in verse uh and i'm going to start here in uh in verse 60, and when Esau saw, so Joseph says, hey, Naphtali, go get those records real quick. You know how Naphtali was supposedly really fast? Well, uh, Esau says that uh, when Esau saw that Naphtali, in verse 60, had gone to fetch the records, he and his sons increased their resistance against the cave. And Esau and all his people rose up against Joseph and his brethren to battle. Like, okay, just pause real quick. This whole funeral procession, all the way through the land of Egypt, up through Canaan, all the way to this cave, and they get there with all the this trail of mourners behind them, and who is it standing there going, yep, uh, you're not going any further, this is my cave. <laughs> so just, like, it spices this story up so much, guys. Like, it's just so amazing. <laughs> like, like, the prophetic way that these guys' 
role roles play out and and the the righteousness that Jacob had and the honor and blessing that Yah bestowed upon Jacob uh, because he was his servant and the dishonor that Esau gets in the end because you know he's a you know he's a little puttin all right so um 62 and Cushim it says the son of Dan the son of Jacob was at that time with Jacob's sons but he was about a hundred cubits distance from the place of battle, for he remained with the children of Jacob's sons by Jacob's buyer to guard it. And Cushim was dumb and deaf. Okay, say that one more time. <laughs> he was dumb and deaf, <laughs> and he understood the voice of consternation among men. So he, you know, he had issues, uh, uh, whatever mental issue they were, you know, referring to as dumb and deaf. There, he could understand arguments. And then he said. Asked, saying, Why do you not bury the dead? What is this great consternation? And they answered him the words of Esau and his sons. And this dumb and deaf guy ran to Esau in the midst of the battle and slew Esau with a sword <laughs> wow. and cut off his head, and it sprang to a distance, and Esau fell amongst the people of the battle. And when Cushim did this thing, the sons of Jacob prevailed over the sons of Esau, and the Jake and Jacob buried their and and the sons of Jacob buried their father Jacob by force in the cave, and the sons of Esau beheld it. And so, okay, you know, this wow. is a terrible family event, right? <laughs> Imagine if your funeral, the family uncle shows up and is like, <laughs> that's my hole. That's my hole. You know, <laughs> I'm being buried. I'm getting buried there, not you. And, uh, oh, man. So just imagine Esau, wow. who was known as this great, fearsome hunter, right? Mm. Esau, the man who supposedly killed Nimrod right yeah, cut, cut off, off the head of yeah. the known king of the world uh he loses his head by the deaf and dumb son of dan wow. who heard some argument in the distance somebody's like oh yeah we can't bury jacob because esau's being a bum <laughs> he jumps up and runs over there it's like swink all right let's bury jacob and get on with this show right <laughs> so guys this Sweet. is just Man, how crazy! You know, and I really never, uh, you know, read through this uh, particular account of this before. <laughs> but how just, you know, it really shows you that you get what's coming to you. <laughs> you know, if you are a servant of the Most High, look at J the life of Jacob, who had gone through all the trouble and the difficulties. Mm -hmm. But guess what? He was buried like a king because he he lived a life of a servant. He struggled with the Most High. Um, and, and because he struggled with the Most High and he, and he held on, um, despite the difficult times, you know, he reigned um, as a king. You know, he, he basically was buried as a king <clears throat> and with great, great honor. But guess what? On the other side of that, look at the story of Esau, the one who spurned his parents, who went off and married the, you know, the Canaanite women just because his mom and dad didn't like him, who sold his birthright, um, lost his blessing because he wasn't. You know, you know, all of these things of how Esau turned his heart away from the the heritage, the inheritance of the God of Israel uh, reveals kind of in the end what he ended up with. You know, he he was basically this guy who was dishonored, squabbling over the burial site of his brother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he didn't even get a record in Genesis um, in this particular instance. If this is really how he died then he didn't even get a mention there because they were like, yeah, we're focusing on Jacob here. And uh, we'll just mention later on that Esau dies. But, you know, they don't, you know. The, so anyways, I wanted to touch on this because it really kind of lays out here the fruits of, uh, 
you know, what, what you get coming to you whenever you sow certain seeds in your life. And I think that's a, a big message that we can learn from Jacob's life. We can learn from how his sons acted and how he blessed them or, you know, spoke, you know, kind of uh, words of, you know, not such a blessing over them. And, uh, and also, uh, you know, how this is important for us kind of spiritually today is that, you know, we want an inheritance and, a, and a, uh, an identity that's founded in the Word of God because we see what's promised to those who align their hearts to keep His commandments, to walk after our example, the Messiah, Yeshua. And, uh, and whenever we do that, you know, it's this great honor that's uh, just waiting for us um, and also, you know, of course, the, the, the warning of the other side. So anyways, that's the, that was the one... <laughs> interesting example I wanted to point out there. <clears throat> yeah, very cool. It's it's making me want to go back and, and read the whole account now. Do you know, did you get a chance to look at the Targum also? Does it back up what, anything that uh, Joshua talks about, or does it leave it out too? The Targum, yes, it does back up um, a, a lot of interesting things in the Jasher account. The Targum actually mentioned some very uh, interesting things that I had actually wanted to bring out as well. Um it was a much more expanded upon blessing kind of uh, procession. So he really uh, kind of goes into a lot more detail in these Targums about prophetic instances as well as um, just in general. So if you guys wanted to read through some of this, uh, because he, he's, he straight up uh, prophesies like um, how there's going to be certain, you know, men coming out of uh, Simeon and Levi and, uh, just amazing, like some really interesting prophecies. Um, uh, he prophesied Samson in the Targums. He prophesied uh, yeah, go, several. Go, go ahead and read it, man. Okay, okay, <laughs> all right. I, I'll stop up talking. I'll just read it. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we got time. Okay, so, um, so this is uh the Jonathan Targum, uh, chapters forty-seven through fifty. So this is just the Targums version of this tour portion, and it says. Uh, and Jacob lived in the land of Mitzrayim 17 years, and the sum of the days of Jacob and the days of his life was 140 and seven years. And the days of Israel drew near to die, and he called to his son, to Joseph, and said to him, If now I have found favor before thee, put thy hand on the place of my circumcision, and deal with me in goodness and truth, that thou wilt not bury me in Mitzrayim, that I may sleep with my fathers, and thou mayest carry me from Mitzrayim, and bury me in their sepulcher. But because he was his son, he did... He did not so. I'm glad. Uh, that's, it reminds me of the blessing or the promise Abraham caused his his servant to take when he went off to get the, you know, place his hand on his, you know, his uh, tender bits there. Um, okay, so, <laughs> but said, I will do according to thy word. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Immediately the glory of the Shekinah and the Lord was revealed to him. And Israel worshipped upon the pillow and of the bed. And so this is the moment that he starts getting prophetic here. And after these things, it was told Joseph, Behold, thy father is lying ill. And he took his two sons with him, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was announced to Jacob, saying, Behold, thy son Joseph hath come to thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, El Shaddai revealed himself to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will increase thee and multiply thee and make thee an assemblage of the tribes. And I will give this land to thy sons after thee for an everlasting inheritance. And now thy son, thy two sons, who have been born in the born to thee in the land of Mitzrayim, before I came to thee in, to Mitzrayim, are mine. 
Ephraim and Manasseh, as Reuben and Simeon, shall be reckoned unto me, and thy children whom thou mayest beget after them shall be thine. By the name of their brethren shall they be called in their inheritance. And I beseech thee to bury me with my fathers, for hell died by me suddenly in the land of Canaan, while there was yet much ground to come to Ephrath. Nor could I carry her to bury her in the double cave, but I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. I wonder if uh, him, him referring in this passage, uh, to uh, Ephrath and the double cave uh, kind of gives us more of a quality of what this cave of the patriarchs uh, is kind of has you know it's a double cave apparently mm. um, anyways going on and Israel looked at the sons of Joseph and said from these born to thee and Joseph answered to his father they are my sons which the word of the Lord gave me according to this writing according to which I took Asenath the daughter of Dinah thy daughter to be my wife and he said Bring them now near to me, and I will bless them. But Israel's eyes were heavy from age, and he could not see. And he brought them to me, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, To see thy face I have not reckoned. But behold, the Lord hath also shown me thy sons. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and worshipped on his face upon the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right side, which is Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left side, which was Israel's right, and brought them to him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it upon the head of Ephraim, though he be younger, and his left hand upon the head of Manasseh, altering his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The Lord before whom my fathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, did serve, the Lord who hath fed me since I have been unto this day, be pleased that the angel whom thou didst ordain for me to redeem me from all evil may bless the children. And let my name be called upon them, and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Yitzhak, and as the fishes of the sea in multiplying are multiplied in the sea, so may the children of Joseph be multiplied abundantly in the midst of the earth. Um, and just real quick here, I, I find it interesting that you know he, uh, you have him jumping over some of these older brothers, um, and uh, uh, he he says, uh, you know, let Ephraim and Manasseh be like you know these older sons that I'm going to actually skip over. So it's almost like they take these older sons. Uh, inheritance blessing whenever he adopts them in and uh um <clears throat> so let me skip down here uh i was trying to get to the blessings of the sons of jacob but there's a large portion here uh here up before but um it starts here in verse uh, 49 and jacob called his sons and said to them purify yourselves from uncleanness and i'll show you the hidden mysteries the ends concealed the recompense of reward for the righteous the retribution of the wicked and the bower of eden what it is, and the twelve tribes of Israel gathered themselves together around the golden bed where he reclined, where was revealed to him the Shekinah of the Lord, the end for which the king Mashiach is to come, had been concealed from him. Then he said, Come, I will declare to you what shall befall you at the end of the days. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and receive instruction from Israel, your father. So this is really prophetically significant, what, what he's about to say over his sons here. Jacob, thou, uh, or sorry, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, the beginning of the strength of my generation. The chief event of my thoughts to thee belonged the birthright, and the high priesthood, and the kingdom. But because thou hast sinned, my son, the birthright is given to Joseph, and the kingdom to Yehuda, and the priesthood to Levi. I will liken thee to a little garden in the midst of which there enter torrents swift and strong, which cannot bear but is overwhelmed. Be repentant then, Reuben, my son, for that's how thou hast sinned, and add not. 
that wherein thou hast sinned, it may be forgiven thee. For it is reckoned to thee as if thou wentest in to have to do with the wife of thy father at the time that thou didst confound my bed, upon which thou wentest up. All right, so uh, then he has Simeon and Levi are brothers of the womb. Their thoughts are of sharp weapons of rapine. In their counsel, my soul hath not had pleasure. And in their gatherings against Shechem to destroy it, mine honor was not united. For in their anger, they slew the prince of his honor. And in their ill, they demolished the will of their adversary. And Jacob said, Accursed was the town of Shechem when they entered within to destroy it in their violent wrath and their hatred against Joseph, for it was relentless. If, said Jacob, they, they dwell together, no king nor ruler may stand against them. Therefore will I divide the inheritance of the sons of Simeon into two portions. One part shall come to them out of the inheritance of the sons of Yehuda, and one part from amongst the rest of the tribes of Jacob. And the tribe of Levi I will disperse amongst the tribes of Israel. So we can kind of pause between each of these blessings and kind of discuss it, but you know, Jacob is literally saying here that the son, you know, his sons, Levi and, you know, Simeon are so warlike, so fierce that if they were to have their own kind of plot of land, then they would just over, nobody would be able to overcome them. They're just going to, you know, you know, be bullies. Right. So he disperses them amongst the inheritance of Israel, almost as like these warriors that, you know, can step into battle to, you know, step up, you know, and fight with the other brothers. But they're, you know, he has part, you know, Simeon down in Judah, you know, in case, you know, protect the Southern tribes and part Simeon up there, you know, in uh, in the tribes of Joseph um, in the Northern house. But uh, just how fierce he describes them is just really interesting. But uh, we see that Levi later on takes this warrior role because the priests are the ones that end up slaughtering people at Mount Sinai and stepping out and having to, you know, you know, conduct war against anybody that approached the tabernacle unworthy. Um, but, you know, what uh, do you guys have any comments? Maybe we can, you know, just discuss, you know, through each of these blessings as they as we talk about them. Uh, no, I just, I, you know, I found that to be really insightful. I was uh, trying to remember in the, uh, I think it was a 2018 broadcast where uh, Patricia Hall and uh, John Pounders and Chad Schaefer were talking that I think they mentioned, I, I don't think it was Simeon or, or uh, I think it was Issachar, uh, that um, the Cherokee Indians, uh, Native Americans, uh, may allegedly trace back to Issachar. So I was just—I've seen stuff about the the Native Americans being traced to various Israelites, and I was just wondering if the warlike aspects might have, uh, you know, from Simeon might have also made their way over this side of the world as well. Well, uh, there's actually some interesting uh, research. I know I've heard the opinion of Dr. P Stephen Pigeon, um, but he talks about how Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, actually migrates uh, to what would become the Grecian Isles. And the particular area that they migrated to uh, was the area that the tribe of Sparta actually ruled over. Hmm. So according to the opinion, you know, the scholarly opinion of Dr. Stephen Pigeon, uh, the tribes of Simeon eventually uh, were the ancestors of the Spartans. And um, and there's interesting, uh, you know, uh, research he has there that the, the that's actually a, uh, a connection there with their warrior like, you know, mindset that the Spartans were actually the descendants of the tribe of Simeon, uh, the warrior tribe of the tribes of Israel. So interesting. Um, While you were talking, I just uh, I don't know anything about this website, so this is not an endorsement. I just happened to do a Google search and I saw that uh, 
some this person writing in March 3rd, 2015, Tribe of Iskar, the so-called Mexicans, he was linking them to the Aztecs here. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, you know, Don't know what to make of it. Haven't read it. Just uh, happened to see it on a Google search. Once we get down to the blessings of Issachar, maybe there's some qualities there we can draw out to see, you know, because uh, for, for example, um, I believe it's uh, Naphtali. Uh, or, or, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, let's kind of get through these blessings because there's a really interesting tie with the sea-bearing tribe, yeah. you know, the tribe that's prophesied by Jacob to be, you know, this nation that goes out on the sea. And their location, <clears throat> according to secular historians, is actually uh, likened to the... Um, uh, the um, sorry, it's the I, I'm spacing on the name. The uh, not the Persian Empire, the uh, Phoenician uh, Phoenician Empire. Yes, uh, and they were well known uh, sea navigating uh, people. And when you look at the imp- the map of the Phoenician Empire, uh, which supposedly kind of overlaps the time timeline of the the tribes in the land. Um, that the Phoenician Empire actually goes and the area of the Phoenician Empire that connects to the Mediterranean Sea is actually the location of where the tri- the seafaring tribe, I believe it was Naphtali, but you know we're going to have to read through here. I, I, I believe it was Naphtali, but I might be corrected as we get down. Um, but uh, anyways, let's, let's get on to this next uh, blessing. It's Judah next in the Targum, and it says, Judah, thou didst make confession in the matter of Tamar. Therefore shall thy brethren confess thee, and shall call, shall be called Yehudin from thy name. So Jacob straight up in the Targum portion prophesying that you're going to be called Jews, Judah, hmm. because of you know of the uh, your honor there that Jacob's given. So thy hand shall avenge thee of thy adversaries, and throwing arrows upon them when they come when they turn their backs before thee, and the sons of thy father shall come before thee with salutations. I will liken thee, my son Yehuda, as a whelp, the young of a lion. For from the killing of Joseph, my son, thou didst uplift thy, uplift thy soul, and from the judgment of Tamar thou wast free. He dwelleth cu- quietly in strength as a lion, and as an old lion when he reposeth, who may stir him up? Kings shall not cease, nor rulers from the house of Yehuda, nor seraphim teaching Sapharim teaching the law from his seed, till the time that the king Mashiach shall come. The youngest of his sons, on account of him, shall the people flow together. How beauteous is the king, the Mashiach, who will rise from the house of Yehuda. He hath girded his loins and descended and arrayed the battle against his adversaries, slaying kings with their rulers. Neither is there any king or ruler who shall stand before him. The mountains become red with the blood of their slain. His garments dipped in blood are like the outpressed juice of grapes. How beautiful are the eyes of the king Mashiach as the pure wine. He cannot look upon what is unclean, nor the shedding of the blood of the innocent. And his teeth is purer than milk, and cannot eat that which is stolen or torn. And therefore his mountains are red with wine, and his hills white with corn and with coats of flock. So, in a way, prophetic of uh, the coming King David from the line of Judah, but also very prophetic of the coming uh, Messiah, Yeshua, and you know the second coming when he comes back as a uh, conquering king um, and the second coming. So... Zebulun uh, says, shall dwell upon the banks of the sea and have dominion over the havens and will surmount the breaker. So I, I stand corrected. It wasn't, uh, or uh, it wasn't. Um, Naphtali. Naphtali. Naphtali was actually Zebulun. Naphtali's the, 
leaping hind brother <laughs> um zebulun <laughs> shall be the so it's possible that zebulun according to their location and where they received their inheritance along the you know the mediterranean sea there the banks uh that uh likely could be uh, uh so the phoenician empire is likened as these great seafaring conquerors right well, where they connected to the Mediterranean Sea was actually where Zebulun and the tribes of Zebulun were. So, could the seafaring arm of the Phoenician Empire, which was a you know eclectic group of many different people groups, could have the seafaring arm of the Phoenician Empire actually have been Zebulun? I think it's likely or possible at least. Um, okay, so Issachar is an ass in the law, a strong tribe. Knowing the order of the times, he lieth down between the limits of his brethren, and he saw the rest of the world to come that it was good, and the portion of the land of Israel that it is pleasant. Therefore bowed he his shoulders to labor in the law, and unto him shall come his brethren bearing presents. From the house of Dan there is arise a man who will judge his people with the judgment of truth. All the tribes of Israel will hearken to him together. A chosen man shall arise from the house of Dan, like the basilisk which lieth in the dividing of the way, and the serpent's head which lurketh by the way, that biteth the horse in his heel, and the master from his terror is thrown backward. Even thus will uh, Shimshon bar Manavak slay all the heroes of Philistia, the horsemen and the foot, and he will hamstring their horses and hurl their riders backward. So, uh, you know, that last verse, they straight up call out the name of Samson, right? <laughs> they, he straight up says Samson Barmanavak. So whether that was added by rabbis later on or, um, or, or not, you know, th this is something I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion today. But he was being prophetic of uh, Samson coming um, in this uh, portion there. All right. So uh, then it says uh, he prophesied. Then when Jacob saw Gideon bar Joash and Samson Barmanovak, who were established to be deliverers. He said, I expect not the salvation of Gideon, nor look I for the salvation of Samson, for their salvation will be the salvation of an hour. Before thy, sa thy salvation have I waited and will look for, O Lord, for thy salvation is the salvation of eternity. So, um, in this, you know, this, you know, these are the passages of Jasher that kind of make me like tilt my head. I'm like, yeah, you know, how did he know their full name? Like, um, so it kind of makes me kind of feel maybe that rabbis may have added portions like this. Mm -hmm. Um, but then again, you know, if he was just prophesying and then they've interpreted back onto it, maybe that's why they're adding kind of like how in Genesis or in Exodus, we see, you know, names of cities that would not have existed during the times of the Israelites, like the city of Ramses, which would have actually been several hundred years down the road, but the rabbis actually wrote the name of that city to help give uh, context. And we see that same thing happening in the book of Enoch, uh, book of first Enoch, where it talks about the, you know, the, the region of the land of Dan, yet supposedly Enoch is supposed to be a pre-flood script. Well, it's because someone who is copying down added these modern names to give context to ancient locations. So mm -hmm. I wonder if it's an example like that, or if it's, you know, maybe just an example of somebody, <laughs> you know, uh, getting into this text, but. Well, but I mean, we have the example of Isaiah being given the prophecy of Cyrus, how many hundreds of years before Cyrus showed up. So it's not impossible. I mean, we do have, True. we do have canonized biblical precedents for that level of prophecy. So, um, 
All right, I'll, I'll just get through the last few sons here. Um, it says, uh, the tribe of Gad and the rest of the tribes um, will, will arm, pass over the streams of Arnon, and subdue before them the pillars of the earth. And armed will they return unto their limits with much substance and dwell in peace beyond the passage of the Arden. For so will they choose, and it shall be to them to receive their inheritance. Uh, happy is Asher, whose fruitage is plenteous, and whose land abundeth in palms and costly perfumes. Naphtali is a swift messenger, like a hind that runneth on the tops of the mountains, bringing good tidings. You know, mentioned multiple times it mentioned he was fast enough he could walk on tops of the, you know, the grain without breaking it, or, or the corn without breaking it. Um, and uh, he it is who announced that Joseph was living. He it was who hasteth to go unto Mitzrayim, and bringing, bring the contract of the double field in which Esau had no portion. Um, so this is backing up the Jasher account. According to this passage here, it's saying that there was this confrontation um, that Naphtali had to run and get that contract um, of, of the, uh, the field, and Esau had no portion. When he shall open his mouth in the congregation of Israel to give praise, he shall be the chosen of all tongues. Joseph, my son, thou hast become great. Joseph, my son, thou hast become great and mighty. The end determined on thee was thou shouldest be mighty, because thou didst subdue thy inclination in the matter of thy mistress, and in the work of thy brethren. Thee will I liken to a vine planted by the fountains of water, which sendeth forth her roots, and overrunneth the ridges of stone, and covereth by her branches all unfruitful trees. Even so didst thou, my son Joseph, subject by thy wisdom and thy good works all the magicians of Mitzrayim. And when celebrating thy praises... The daughters of princes walking on the high places cast before thee bracelets and chains of gold, and thou should lift up thine eyes upon them, and thine eyes thou wouldst not lift up upon one of them, to become guilty in the great day of judgment. And all the magicians of Mitzrayim were bitter and angry against him, and brought accusation against him before Pharaoh, expecting to bring him down from his honor. They spake against him with slanderous tongue, which is severe as arrows. But he returned to abide in his early strength, and would not yield himself unto sin, and subdued his inclinations by the strong discipline he had received from Jacob, and thence became worthy of being a ruler, and of being joined and engraving of the, upon the names upon the stones of Israel. From the word of the Lord shall be thy help, and he who is called the all-sufficient shall bless thee with the blessing which descend with the dew of heaven and from above. And which the good blessing of the fountain of the deep, which ascend and clothe the herbage from beneath, the breath, the breasts are blessed at it, which thou was suckled, and the womb in which thou didst lie. And the blessing of thy father be added to the blessing wherewith my, my fathers Abraham and Isaac have blessed me, and which the princes of the world, Ishmael and Esau, and all the sons of Keturah have desired. Let all these blessings be united, and from a diadem of majesty for the head of Joseph, and for the brow of the man who became chief and ruler in Mitzrayim, and the brightness of the glory of his brethren. And uh, the last brother, Benjamin, is a strong tribe, like the wolf with his prey, and his land shall the Shekinah of the Lord shall dwell the Shekinah of the Lord of the world, and the house of the sanctuary he builded in his inheritance. In the morning will the priest offer the lamb continually, until the fourth hour, and between the evening, the second lamb, and at evening tide will they divide the residue remaining of the offering and eat every man of his portion. So. <clears throat> Anyways, that that's a you know a run through of the the Torgum's blessings of uh, of the the uh, sons of Jacob and uh, and I think something significant there that I want to point out that I didn't realize in my first read through was actually the 
the level of detail that he goes into regarding Joseph and and how uh, Joseph is really honored as this man who didn't give in to temptation, that he stayed strong. Uh, and you also have kind of that interesting, you know, mention of the the priests and the the wizards of Pharaoh basically tempting him, just like Moses would be challenged later on. And in the same way that uh, we have another guy, the, the prophet Daniel was challenged by the wise men of the, you know, of King of Babylon. Um, and we, we kind of see this recurring theme of the the righteous chosen sons of Yah being placed into these positions of authority and and uh, leadership, and they're being tested this whole time. Um, but you know, something I wanted to point out here that stood out to me and, and I'll kind of pass it over to you guys, um, to bring it full circle is the Messiah is referred to as uh, Messiah ben Yosef. The first time he came like the suffering servant, right? Well, uh, in one way, the, the reason that he also shared a quality with Joseph it, it, and exceeded Joseph, I'm, I'm assuming, or no, is, is that Joseph was tried and, and tested, uh, but he never gave into sin. And that's an important quality that the Messiah has uh, later on that, that um, really made him the Messiah, uh, is that he w- he lived as a sinless lamb for the remission of sins. Um, uh, and so the significance of this is, you know, one, that, you know, Joseph is foreshadowing this, uh, you know, back in the Old Testament, and also that the honor and the glory, you know, that someone gets by keeping a righteous footing and not you know, turning to temptation, what motivation for us on a day-to-day basis as believers who want to walk after righteousness and want to know the ways of Yah, you know, what great encouragement that even though when we go through hard times, if we keep sure-footed and we keep walking towards righteousness and we run away from those mistresses of Potiphar and, and you know, we don't fall to the temptations of the magicians of Mitzrayim, you know, how how amazing are you know, some of the blessings that Yah has intended for us uh, if we keep after him with our whole heart. And uh, and I think that's a, a theme that um, I'm getting from the blessings of Jacob is that those who repented, those who acknowledged their sin, you know, they weren't perfect. Look at what happened with with uh, Judah, right? You know, he, he had a total kerfuffle with his, you know, his two sons and Tamar. And oh, my goodness, talk about family drama, nightmare, you know, baggage. <laughs> but look. You know, he repented, and that's the significance. Amen. Good stuff, man. So I didn't hear anything in the Targum about Esau coming to uh, stop anything. Did that? Or was that yeah, later? It, it mentioned uh, with Naphtali how Naphtali was the fast one that oh, ran that to ran. get. Oh, yeah, okay. So it it kind of infers in, that infers the that this actually did happen. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, wow, good stuff, man. Juan Carlos, I know you you're probably itching to say something here, so uh yeah, man, what are your thoughts? No, just to echo some some of the some of the what Jay was uh, saying uh, before. Uh, you know, what what touched me really much when I when I read this and thinking on the all the all these end dates of uh, Jacob and, and what uh, what happened to him as a as a parallel I didn't see it, Jake, and it is it's, it's very very nice what you brought about the parallel between the tribes in the in the wilderness, about the first uh, exodus and so on, uh, and, and and all the the honor that uh, Jacob received at the, the last day, uh, his last days. Uh, you know, the, what touched me on that point is when I was reading when he was blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, because he was in his own words, uh, just to see how 
was ending his life, Jacob. And, and we found this in the, this uh, chapter 48, verse 15. I want to read it to you guys. It says the following. And he blessed Joseph and said, The Elohim before whom my fathers Abraham and Yishak walked. Elohim, and this is this is the, the key part of the verse. The Elohim who has fed me all my life long to this day. So so you know at the last at the last minute of his uh, life, Jacob, Jacob in Hebrew, he recognized that was Yahuwah, the one sustaining him during his entire life. So and actually is going beyond in the chapter in the verse 16, the messenger who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the youth. So so at the end of his life, Jacob recognized that everything he, he went through and the, everything he got in his life was because of Yahuwah. Yahuwah sustained his life. And this is so important because uh, we see on what Yahweh uh, was, uh, was sharing, uh, how was this a tremendous honor to, 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 to be in this funeral like a king? You know, I was reading the the, the, the book of uh, Yasher as well the, early today, and even says that uh, Joseph was putting his golden crown on the coffin of Yaakov. Mm. And and also the princes of Canaan, they were taking out their crowns and put it as well in the coffin of Yaakov. You know, such an honor in this case of Yaakov, and we see in, in, in this way also the same by him in these words, recognizing that was Yahuwah uh, guiding his life, and recognizing that Yahuwah is the one that is giving us all. And this is the same that we need to do in our lives, uh, that we need to recognize that every, everything is coming from from Abba. And, and you know, regarding the blessing, uh, and, and before that, you know, I wanted to ask you something, guys, because uh, I want to I want to know what's your take on this. Uh, for me, it's really interesting that uh, why in the chapter 48, and I know the consequences and the, and, and, and the prophetic implication of a Jacob taking Ephraim and Menashe. We know this as about the fullness of the Gentiles and so on. Uh, but uh, why in the, in the chapter 48, verse 5, he take the two sons of Joseph to himself? What was the reason behind? Why? Because Joseph was his son. So, so why not to continue with Joseph? why he needed to take the sons of Joseph, and he didn't take all the sons of Joseph. He just took the, the two sons that was uh, alive at that moment. And, and that's the first that's the first thing. I have some some ideas on my head that I wanted to, to discuss and share with you guys. Uh, and the second question related to the same, uh, why he took the two of them? Why not to take only one? He, he should take uh, the first one, Menashe. And we know that, uh, you know, in the prophecy of Jacob, we know that Ephraim was going to be uh, higher than his uh, brother. And by the way, this is a parenthesis. I see a, a, an amazing parallel between Jacob and Esau. You know, Jacob was the younger and Esau was the, old, the, the, the older, the elder. So, so I see a parallel here. So, so, so why not to take one of them? Why he took the two of them? So, so I don't know. I wanted to, to have this open discussion with you guys. I don't know. You have any thought on this? Yeah. Well, uh, just looking at that verse, um, what is that? Verse five. Therefore, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are. It, it, it kind of seems like, because if you look at their blessings, they're not really blessed. <laughs> 
you know exactly they're kind of like uh, kind of disinherited almost so it, it it looks like right here Ephraim and, and Manasseh are taking the place of Reuben and Simeon at least that would be my thought as far as uh, Jacob is concerned that- and also the uh, the nature of what a firstborn person's blessing actually uh, encapsulates is it's a double portion blessing right and so uh, Joseph is given this the first this blessing of uh, the inheritance and it's a double portion inheritance and so when two sons you have two blessings happening here which is a double blessing so Joseph in a way because Jacob took the time to bless both Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph got two blessings while all the other sons of uh, of Jacob got one blessing mm-hmm. or one, you know, prophetic thing over them while Joseph got two. So, you know, I think that just is, you know, a parallel with the very nature of what was given to Jake, uh, to Joseph. Um, so we have uh, the priestly, the priesthood was given to Levi, it says. Uh, we have the, the kingly blessing, the kingship was given to Judah, and then we have that that inheritance. The double portion was given to Joseph, and that's why there were two blessings given to two sons, because he got double the percentage of what the other sons got. You know, I what, what I, I came to my mind, guys, and I wanted to, again, to discuss hopefully with you today, is that, you know, when we see the entire scripture the, in, the, in the wilderness, in the prophets and so on, uh, the most reference of, uh, is about when it's talking about Israel and the 12 tribes is talking about Ephraim and Menashe. It's not reference about Joseph uh, with some exceptions. So so basically Ephraim and Menashe came to be part of the uh, Jacob house, Jacob's house. So, but uh, why not uh, Joseph? In the same thing that you were sharing in Yasher, uh, uh, Jake, that uh, Joseph was not the one carrying the, the coffin of his father, it was Ephraim and Menashe. <laughs> So, so, so my, what, it, what it came to my mind is that uh, could it be that uh, the reason that uh, Jacob, and this is somehow a prophetic thing, that Jacob uh, had to take the two sons of Joseph, first because he needed to complete the full house of Israel. He lost one son, and that son was Joseph. So what happened to Joseph? Joseph was uh, uh, sold as a slave. And according to the scripture, we see multiple passages. Actually, what I was thinking is in the case of Abraham in the in the circumcision in the in the covenant of the circumcision, that every everyone needed to go in circumcision and follow the path of Yahuwah, the native born, and also the one bought with silver. So 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 when in this case the script the scripture when when it's telling about these things, is that person in this case was sold as a slave. Joseph, it became a property of somebody else. And even when he, when he was under Pharaoh, Joseph was under Pharaoh somehow. So, so, and, and this is this is the question I wanted to share with you and what you what you think, guys. It could be that the reason is that the, he lost his son. Joseph was sold. It was the property of somebody else, and he needed to recover somehow and, and, mm. and have the fullness of the house of Israel. And that's why he needed to take the two sons of Joseph because it was part of Joseph. The sons of that woman was the property, let's call it in quotation, of Joseph. So that, that's why he took his sons. And actually, if we read in the chap- in the verse 6 of the chapter 48, it says the following, Your off- offspring, whom you shall bring for after they are uh, them, are yours. And let them be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So 
what what is Jacob telling Joseph? Any children you are going to get after these two is going to be yours. And actually, and the last part of this verse is saying that the inheritance of those additional children, mm. they're not going to inherit land uh, as these two. They're going to be inheriting in the house of Ephraim and Menashe. So, so, so for me, it's a kind of a prophetic, uh, and I don't know what you think yeah, guys, it, on this thought. It, it, I don't know, man. I'm going to have to camp out on this for a while because like, the more I look at it, the more profound it feels like it really is. As for the offspring born to you after them, they shall be yours. So Jacob's saying, look, I'm taking your first two for to be mine. Looks like in, in place of Reuben the Sibian. And then he says, as for the offspring born to you after them, they shall be yours. They shall be recorded under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. So mm -hmm. Joseph, if he has any more offspring, will be his, but they shall be under the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, who are being taken by Jacob. Looks like in place of Simeon and Reuben. At least that's the way I'm seeing it right now. Is that the way you guys see it? Yeah, yeah, I, I see it not in Reuben and and, and and Simeon. I see it under the Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh. Yeah, exactly. So that begs the so, question: so, who, who then is Ephraim and Manasseh? And uh, the guy that I shared uh, in the chat room earlier, Stephen M. Collins, uh, I'm pretty sure it was him. It's been a long time since I looked at it, but um, if I'm not mistaken, if 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 I'm correct in what I think I remember about it. I believe it was Stephen N. Columns and others that put forward the idea that Ephraim essentially is the United States and Manasseh is the uh, the UK mm. in terms of who, who you know we what? are now. And and so much of the, the ten tribes that were dispersed at the time of the Assyrian captivity in 720, 721 uh, BC, they were dispersed into all nations. But what is America, right? What is the United States? We, we refer to ourselves as the melting pot, that we, our nation was built up of many nationalities coming here. Uh, so it would seem to fit, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, that's very interesting. And actually, actually, you know, and, and to the second part of what I was mentioned at the beginning, why he needed to take two. And I think it, this could be also a prophetic implication. You know, if the reason that he needed to take the two sons of Joseph because he lost Joseph, Joseph became somebody else because he became a slave. Mm. Uh, why he needed to take the two, uh, the two of them? And maybe, and this is just a maybe, is because uh, Jacob knew that he was going to lose one additional son. And what was the additional son was Levi, because you know we know that. Uh, in the future, Levi is going to be taken instead of the firstborn. And who's going to be the owner of Levi is going to be Yahuwah. Mm. So, so mm. yeah. taking two sons oh, because he knew that Levi was given to Yahuwah. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I mean, it's one of those things where you're going to have to chew on it for a bit longer, but those are some, huh? those are some interesting thoughts. Um, yeah, so yes, thought to to food for thoughts, guys, because you know I don't have the answer. But when I was reading yeah. this portion early today, it came to my mind. I found it really interesting. Yes, to you know, I was always wondering why he needed to take for himself as sons, mm -hmm. why he took uh, the two of them. So maybe it's something to study and, and go deeper in the 
by, by ourselves to, to understand this truth. And the second thing uh, that I wanted to share is about the, the prophetic word in the chapter 49. It's about the uh, Judah, Yehuda. And, uh, you know, this is a prophetic word for Mashiach. And then we know in the full description what's talking about the inscribed in the verse 10, chapter 49, until Shiloh comes, and to him is the obedience of the peoples. We, we know that this is talking about uh, Yahushua Mashiach. But uh, what, what I found really interesting is what is coming in the verse 11. Because it says, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey is called to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. So, so what is the what is the the connection when he's talking about the biding a donkey on a vine and also the cult of a donkey on the choice vine? Mm-hmm. And and we see this a connection in the in the book of Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, uh, this is in the chapter nine, and this is a prophecy of uh, Yahushua. Um, Chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Sion, child, O daughter of Jerusalem. He, your sovereign, is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with deliverance, humble and riding on a donkey, a called the fall of a donkey. And, and, and listen, what is it written in the, in the next one? Here's in the, in the verse 9, we see the connection with the same prophecy that the, uh, Jacob gave to his sons, Yehuda. And we see here the connection with the donkey and the cult of the donkey, the fall of the donkey. But uh, what is say, saying the verse 10 is, is, is really interesting because it's, it's, it has a reference with Ephraim. And I shall cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule is from, the, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So, so we know that the, there was war between the house of Israel and the house of Yehuda. Uh, and, and, and I see a strong connection here because the house of Israel has a connection with Ephraim. So, so the one bringing peace between the two houses is Mashiach, Yahushua HaMashiach. And we see the connection with the cult and the fall of the donkey uh, with the same thing that we see in the chapter 49. And, and we know that the, when we go to uh, Matthew, we see the, the fulfillment of this prophecy on Zechariah. This is in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. And it says the, the following, starting in the verse 1 to the verse 7. And when they came near to Jerusalem and came to Beit Pagi at the Mount of Olives, then Yahushua sent two taught ones, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and straight away you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. So, so we're talking about two animals, okay? Loosen them and bring them to me. And if anyone says whatever to you, you shall say, the master needs them, and immediately he shall send them. And all this took place that it might be filled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say the daughter of Sion, see your sovereign is coming to you, meek and sitting on a donkey, even a colt, the fall of a donkey. And the told ones, the ones went, and having done as Yahushua ordered them, they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their garments on them and he sat on them. So, so we see basically this is the entrance of Yahushua in, into Jerusalem and we see the fulfillment of the prophecies. But what's the connection? And that's what I was started to wonder, uh, the connection about uh, what we see in Zechariah with Ephraim 
and what we see and, and, and the and the meaning of the donkey and the call of the donkey with what is written in the portion of this week in the prophecy of Jacob to mm. uh, to Judah uh, Judah yeah so so I found I found some some interesting verses uh, guys that uh, what is a donkey what is a cord in order to bind and, and just to share some of them with you guys, let's go to the book of uh, Hosea, Hosea, chapter 8, verse 9. And we know that the, this book is, is so prophetic about Ephraim and the house of Israel. And you know, the reference here is, is so, so interesting. Because it says in the verse 9, For they themselves, talking about the house of Israel, they themselves have gone up to Ashur, Syria. A wild donkey alone by itself is Ephraim. They have hired lovers. So so could it be that uh, this prophecy of the donkey somehow is a representation of Ephraim that went as a wild donkey as is written here in this book? And the, the one that was bringing peace, according to the book of Zechariah, is Yahushua HaMashiach. That's why it is written in the prophecy of Jacob that Yahushua will be biding his donkey to the vine. What is a vine? According to the scripture, the vine is the kingdom of Yahuwah. So, so it's coming the mother, it's coming the, the discord of the donkey. Could it be, and, and, and I'm just bringing question, guys, because I don't have the answer. It's just uh, what they was, uh, I found really interesting. Could it be that this donkey is representing Ephraim, and the cult of the donkey is representing the remnant of Ephraim that is dispersed among the nations? And this donkey, the mother donkey, it was bind a cord, you know, is, is, is something that is, is binding us to something, in this case, to the kingdom. To the old kingdom and the remnant is bind by a court the court of Yahuwah to the new Jerusalem the choice vine so so you know this is just when I started to see this, this is blow my mind because uh, it could be an interesting connection about why Yehuda got this prophecy and Mashiach was coming through uh, through Judah in order to bring back Ephraim so I don't know. That's it. just thoughts, guys. I don't know what you think, or maybe you can share something on this. Yeah, I mean, this is something I'm going to have to think about some more. Uh, find it interesting, though, man. I mean, I, this, yeah. this whole passage, in, in fact, I don't remember if it was this passage or another one later on, but it's talking about, uh, actually, I think it's in the book of Numbers, when, when they're starting to get ready to go into the land, and the land is going to be... Uh, what part of the land is going to be belong to who, you know, that I, I want to say Asher was talking about it. He shall dip his feet in oil. And there was a, a Texas oil man that was reading that scripture and he thought, Hmm. And so he decided just on a hunch, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, based on the scripture, I'm going to go to Israel with a team and do some, um, initial testing and surveying. And, uh, he did so, and he came to believe that probably one of the largest oil deposits in the world may be exactly as according to that scripture in that part of Israel. And uh, he founded Zion Gas and Oil as a result of that. So, you know, this is the kind of thing where thoughts like this, 
pop in your head and you say, hmm, I wonder, <laughs> you know, who knows where it could lead, right? So, uh, you know, that's why I appreciate doing stuff like this. It makes you think. Yeah, something to study. It could be something, something more than this, this world's diplomacy. Yeah. yeah, something to dig deeper into. Um, right. I, I love this portion. Let me switch, switch back over here. Um, uh, in chapter 48, uh, where, you know, he puts his hand, uh, well, actually, Joseph brings his sons and positions them such that when NASA is front of his right hand and, and Ephraim is in front of his left, you know, because he's expecting the to get the firstborn son blessing, right? And, you know, Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the hand of Ephraim, so he crossed his arms in order to do that. He had to form an X, like, with his arms, and you know, to, to put his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. And it, this pleased him, so he took his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, since this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, and he shall also, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall be a multitude of nations. And it's this phrase, multitude of nations. Uh, I probably butcher it, but I think it's um, minhagoyim or something like that. It, the phrase is the the fullness of the Gentiles that Paul referred to until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. It's the same phrase that's used right here. So. You know, people who have this dispensation theology mentality, which is replacement theology in disguise, frankly, they believe that the church has replaced Israel for a period of, it's like a parenthetical period of time. I'm like, look, guys, if you believe that it was Israel, 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 cross, boom, church, rapture, Israel, then you believe in replacement theology. You're the one who believes in replacement theology, not not us. Uh, it, that's not the way it is, you know. Um, we are grafted in. We get grafted in, so you know I, I'm I'm looking at this and realizing that Darby, who is the founder of dispensation theology, he actually understood this. Uh, the, the passage of scripture, uh, he he I think it was this passage right here, if I'm not mistaken. He translated it as the fullness of the Gentiles. Uh, if it's not this one, it's a similar one. So oddly enough, the guy who invented dispensation theology was the one who actually, in the Darby translation of the Bible, he actually understood what was going on here, what Paul understood the multitude of the Gentiles are. So if you want to understand who the Gentiles are, you got to read the book of Hosea because Paul quotes Hosea directly in Romans chapter 7 through 11. So when he's reading, when he, when he's writing Romans chapter 7 through 11, talking about the Gentiles, he's talking about it in the context of Ephraim, the northern kingdom that was dispersed and the whole division of the two houses and, and all that stuff. We don't have time because, well, we're at the end of the show right now, but... Uh, let me go back to the um, study page here uh, for this week's study. If people want to understand more, I mean, we're at the end here, so if you really want to go deeper, uh, again, this is the study page for this week, Genesis Week 12. And if you scroll down past the videos, you get to this section right here. It says, Blogs Dealing with the Identity of the Church. Um, I got it starting with Pick a Stick and Who is the Church Anyway, but... I think you might get more if you if you read this one first. If you let's just go ahead and do click on that. Read this blog right here, Leviticus 23, Ezekiel 4, and the fullness of the Gentiles to really, really dive in and understand what's going on here and why I call what we're doing here the Ephraim awakening. Uh, because something happened 
in roughly 2009-2010, exactly 2,730 years after this exile. You know, the exile that began in 720-721, depending on who you read, B.C., uh, was to be for 390 years. We learned that from Ezekiel. He was told to lay on his side, uh, what is in um, Ezekiel chapter 4, to lay on his side for 390 days, a day representing a year. But Leviticus 26 says that if you get chastised and you don't repent it, as a result of your chastisement, you get seven times more of the judgment. So it's 390 times 7, 2730 years just so happened to end in 2009-2010 in that time frame. And that just so happens to be the time frame where, let me go back to our, our virtual house church page here, where if you go to the Fellowship Finder page and look at all the blue dots that are manifesting all over the world, these dots began to appear with no leader. Some people want to say it's a cult. You know, cults have leaders they're, uh, you know, of organizations. No, this is a massive move of Yahuwah, in my opinion, that began in 2009-2010. I believe this is Ephraim waking up in the pig pen. If you read the parable of the prodigal son, that's what it's about. It's about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, Ephraim, you know, as described in the parable uh, of the, the prodigal son, he had wasted his inheritance, wasted everything, spent it all, and wanted to do things his way and ended up in a pig pen, which is like the worst place for an Israelite to end up. He ends up in a pig pen of all places, and he looks around and he realizes, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? And the way I describe it is, if you can imagine that story, Ephraim sitting in the pig pen, wait, looking around, what did I get myself into? I, I wonder... I wonder if Dad will take me back. If you could take a photograph, a, a Polaroid snapshot of that event, that's what I refer to as the Ephraim Awakening. That began in roughly 2009, 2010, exactly coincidentally, right? Somebody once told me, coincidence this is just God being anonymous. <laughs> just at the end of the 2730 years, uh, I believe that the scales were removed, that, that the scales that were on the eyes of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, that were they were intentionally blinded by Yahuwah. They couldn't see because people ask, "Well, are you trying to tell me that the church has had it wrong for two thousand years?" Yeah, I am, and it has nothing to do with hubris to say otherwise. You know, people say, "Oh, who are you to say you know you, you knew better than Martin Luther or Galvin or you know pick a guy?" No, listen, we were all blinded, intentionally blinded by Yahuwah. We were not able to see this revelation. We were literally not able to see it until 2009-2010. And then all of a sudden, people all over the world started seeing it. And independently, independent of any leader, of any denomination, people all over the world just started going back to Genesis and realizing, you know what? Wow. You know, uh, Sabbath. Maybe I should start keeping this. Wow. Feast. Maybe I should start keeping the feast. Wow. Maybe I should start eating the way Yahuwah says I should eat. Maybe I should, this Torah thing, maybe we should go back to start studying that so I can actually understand the New Testament and realize what Yeshua said on the road to Emmaus. He's walking on the road to Emmaus and he, he told these guys who didn't recognize him. It says he began with Moses to explain who he was. We see at the end of the uh, the uh, book of Acts that Paul is in a rented house and what is he doing? He's beginning at Moses to tell the people who Yeshua was. What were the Bereans doing? The Bereans were trying to check up on what Paul said. You know, it said the Bereans searched the scriptures daily. What were the scriptures? They were not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
They were not the epistles of Paul. They were going back to the Torah, the prophets, the writings of what we call the Old Testament. And they were seeing who Yeshua was. And as we're finding, as we're doing these studies, uh, the Targums actually really make it. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, realizing how it's the word of the Lord that is appearing all over the place. The word of the Lord did this. The word of the Lord did that. And what do we read in John? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that Yeshua is the word. Well, that's been stripped from our Bibles, you know, today. If you go back to the more ancient texts and see that it's the word of the Lord all over the place, and then we don't have time to get into it here, but the Olive Tav in Greek, that's the Alpha and Omega. What does Yeshua refer to himself as? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In Hebrew, that's the Olive Tav. And the Olive Tav has some interesting functions all through the Old Testament. And so there are people who have published Bibles like the Olive Tav scriptures that are published in English, but wherever the Olive Tav shows up, it's it's inserted in the text. So you can be reading in English, boop, Olive Tav, and like, ooh, you know. So, wow. I mean, there's just been this massive awakening, and it really all goes to this Torah portion right here. That's why I'm so excited about this Torah portion. I was glad to be able to share it with you guys. Thank you guys so much for your insights on it and everything. And uh, wow, we'll, we'll look forward to hopefully hearing from Jim Staley with us next week. We, Like I said, we are a week ahead of everybody else. So most people who are doing Torah portions, they're going to do this this one that we just did next week. So um, next week, hopefully, we'll have Jim with us, and he can share, us, share with us his Joseph experience and uh, maybe some more insights on uh, uh, what he calls identity crisis, what I refer to as Ephraim Awakening. Any parting thoughts that you guys might want to share before we close out here? No, not from my side. Um, yeah, just, just one quick thing is, you know, the blindness came to, uh, you know, Israel. So the fullness of the Gentiles could come in. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, what's really prophetic about Jacob telling Ephraim, you're going to be a multitude of nations because it's the whole promise of, of Abraham coming to fruition in our world today, where literally you look at genetic testing, you know, percentage wise of how many of us are related to the tribes of Israel it'd be harder to not be related to at least one of the tribes of Israel um, in terms of even even secular uh, just genetic statistics. If you look at, you know, you know, just the numbers, like we are all the seed of Abraham and it's truly the promise of Abraham coming to full circle, yeah. you know, with the Messiah allowing this, you know, the multitude of nations of Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, the, who became the fullness of the Gentiles to be able to become fellow heirs of the covenant, you know, that maybe that's why it's so significant in Ephesians and, and some of the writings of Paul, he talks about you can become fellow heirs uh, to the promises and the covenants because Ephraim and Manasseh were given that double portion inheritance. And if we, uh, you know, repent of our sins and confess the Messiah, uh, the name Yeshua, you know, as our Savior, then we can be grafted in as fellow heirs, and uh, and that's how all of the world can now become part of the nation of Israel and of the chosen people of God. Amen. Right on. All right. Uh, well, yeah. very good. Um, one last thing, uh, if you guys would uh, do uh, pray for my sister. Um, it was interesting. I was watching the uh, 2017 broadcast in. It was the same Torah portion that I was asking for prayer for my sister. She had to go in for some major uh, hip reconstruction uh, during this time three years ago. Uh, and so your prayers are answered on that one. She uh, she did well with that surgery. It was a 
really uh, intensive, rough surgery, but she, she recovered well for it. But um, she's actually going in for surgery again, a different surgery this time um, on the 29th. So today's the 26th. Uh, I guess it's this coming Tuesday. Some pretty pretty extensive surgeries. She's got she's um, historically been allergic to painkillers, so as you can imagine, going through massive surgery, you know, major surgery, and not really having painkillers, uh, that's a rough wow. deal. She's she's the toughest person I've ever met. She has a pain tolerance like nobody I've ever met before. But uh, I'd appreciate if you guys would please uh, keep my sister her name's Chrissy Kinman. Keep my sister in prayer uh, on the 29th that she goes in, that she doesn't have any difficulties or, or any complications, and that her, her recovery is swift. So I would certainly appreciate that if you guys would keep my sister in prayer. And uh, if you guys are ready, we could close out with the ironic blessing. Uh, Jake, uh, you want to do it in English, and Juan Carlos to do Or Jake, you had it. One of you guys did it in Hebrew last time. I don't remember who it yeah, was. Yeah, it was me. Oh, you did it? Yeah, want to do that again? Sure. sure. Yeah, cool. Okay, here we go. It says, Yevare jaja ya jua veishmerreja. Yaer ya jua panabeleja vi juneka. Yisa ya jua panabeleja ve yasem deja shalom. Jake, you want to do it in English? Amen. Numbers chapter 6. God spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. Say to them, God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look to you and you, full in the face and make you prosper. In doing so, they will place my name on the people of Israel, and I will confirm it by blessing them. So that was the... Sorry, that was the message version. It, I was like, wow, this is really different than I've usually read. Uh, normal KJV, it says, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. <laughs> so, there you go. I was like, yeah, that's a little different, but all right. <laughs> that's all right. Well, peace. That's shalom. So Shabbat shalom, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Shabbat shalom.